You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Key Flaming. This is the Pipeline Show with Key Flaming. We're going to uh, head to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League again. We haven't uh, talked about the queue for a little while here uh, on the show, so I'm out of the loop. So I got to get somebody who is in the loop to uh, bring me up to speed, and that, of course, is Mike Sanderson, longtime broadcaster in the uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Mike, welcome back to the show. How are things? Always my pleasure. Uh, we're getting over a little bit of cold and sickness, as we always do, because the temperature changes, but uh, the stretch runs are coming. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate uh, you being well enough uh, to, to talk about the queue. And there are some things we w- we want to touch on, the you know, the whole uh, debate about fighting in the, in the queue. We'll get to that in a bit. But maybe let's start with uh, the uh, race getting down to the playoffs and uh, some interesting uh, scenarios uh, coming out of the queue right now. And, I mean, there are two teams who are absolutely on fire. One of them. Uh, I know you've been pretty close to over the last number of years, the Moncton Wildcats, who are riding a 20-0-1 streak right now. Did you foresee this coming? I mean, at the trade deadline, they were one of the teams that were really active and loaded up, but I don't think anybody ever expects to see a, a winning streak quite like this. Yeah, I don't know ever if you expect a winning streak of that magnitude. Uh, you, you don't want to expect a winning streak of that magnitude. Uh, I think you want to be pleasantly surprised when that kind of a thing happens. Uh, I think that no one's necessarily surprised at the success uh, that the Wildcats are seeing, in particular in the second half of the year. They haven't lost a game in regulation since January the 11th. Um, I think that the moves that they made at Christmas – uh, were to solidify a pretty good team that was already there. Uh, getting Jeremy McKenna back early in this really helped them as well. Getting players like Bo Grew and Jared McIsaac and uh, Jacob Fortier, uh, or uh, Gabriel Fortier, excuse me, uh, really helped solidify their veteran core that was there. And uh, of course, adding to players like Olivier Rodrigue and Jacob Peltier, and 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 the list goes on. You know, we talked at the start of the season, Guy, in the season preview, that uh, the Wildcats might be the most desperate team. Uh, in order to add and uh, make do with this season just because of the awful year that they had three years ago. And uh, they certainly pushed forward with uh, massive improvements and uh, made their team a whole lot better at Christmas. And certainly they're, they're feeling the fruits of that, uh, of that labor. And uh, they are in nearly unstoppable team right now heading into the playoffs. Yeah, they, they have a pretty good cushion and top the Eastern Conference standing right now. Shakutami's next, but they're, what, uh, I'm doing math, uh, seven points behind. Uh, right now and then there's an even bigger gap down to Ramuski at three uh, and as we stand right now the the playoffs would basically set up as one v8 in uh, in both conferences correct that is correct and and it's amazing how the playoffs this year kind of set up very similar to the way the playoffs set up last year where last year we had the ruin Aranda Huskies that ran away with the league with 59 wins in the west and other than Drummondville there really wasn't a lot of competition in the west uh, in the west this season it's been Sherbrooke and then everybody else so uh, much like last year there's only really one or two contending teams out west and in the east it's been a dogfight and that's the same thing this year as well with Moncton Shakutami Ramuski and then Cape Breton inserting themselves in that top four and home ice has been wrapped up in the east for at least three weeks now uh, if you look at the top of those standings now the bottom half they're starting to clinch as well with uh, St. John clinching a couple of days ago and Charlottetown clinched not too long ago Uh, there's not many playoff spots left in the east in the west it's been much closer two through eight uh, which is really surprising and some teams that if you would have looked at any other season, maybe if it was the old one versus 16 playoff format, you might have seen some of those teams sell, but because they were in the position they were in, looking at Drummondville and Ruin Aranda and, uh, you know, Val Dor, even who just uh, fired their coach last week in an interesting story, um, teams like that didn't want to sell off as much as maybe they could have. 
uh, just in case they push themselves up into a home ice advantage situation in the first round, maybe win a playoff round and get some extra playoff home gate uh, receipts uh, to their coffers. So, uh, again, the same thing as it was last year and something that I think the league's going to revisit uh, in the summer and maybe as early as next season, perhaps changing this playoff format. But, you know, you look at the way that the, the cycles go and the way that everything works that way, uh, the East, again, is a much more competitive conference, especially at the top end. And, you know, Moncton, Shakutami, Ramuski, and Cape Breton certainly hold a lot of the cards with home ice advantage. Well, I'll get to Sherbrooke in a second because they've been the top team in, in the league, basically almost wire to wire, I think. But you mentioned the uh, coaching change with Valdor. The four they're not out of the, it's not out of the question that they could still get home ice advantage in the first round. Why'd they fire the coach? Uh, that's a really good question. If you ask Pascal Rayom, the former coach, I, I don't know if he has an answer for you. He found out on social media about a week ago wow. uh, that he was let go. He woke up and read it on social media and, uh, before the team could tell him and, you know, and it's not the first time we've seen that happen in the queue and it won't be the last, but it's always surprising when, you know, teams just kind of forget to let the guy know that they were letting him go before everyone else knew. You know what I mean? It's just an odd situation. He had a few words on the way out uh, saying that if uh, the GM there, Pascal Daou, uh, saying that uh, if Daou expected that team to be in fourth or fifth, then he should have made more moves to give himself more talent. Um, and he was a little bit scathing on the way out. And I don't really blame him. When you wake up and you find out your job's gone from social media, that's that would yeah. make anybody a little bit angry. Um, but they've replaced him with Daniela Renault, who was coaching in uh, Schwinnigan up until about a month ago. And uh, Schwinnigan replaced him with Gordy Doyer. So, uh, Lots of uh, coach shuffling going on in that Western Conference regardless. Wow, and right before the playoffs. That's uh, unusual timing. We saw it out here, though, with the uh, Kelowna Rockets, too, hosting the Memorial Cup and gassed their coach uh, about 10 days ago uh, as well. All right, let's get to Sherbrooke. And uh, the, the Phoenix, obviously, they've got, uh, they've got it going. Uh, but what is it about them that has made them so dominant for the most part? And can anybody outside of maybe Moncton give them a challenge? Anybody else? I think that uh, Moncton's definitely the biggest challenger to take on Sherbrooke. I don't know if there's a team in the West that can necessarily handle them. And I think Sherbrooke this year, uh, we said it about Rouen last year, but that ended up not being a factor. Rouen was the real deal. Sherbrooke didn't make a ton of moves at the midseason training period because they also expect to get many of their players back next year. Um, so they're not just looking for this year. They're looking for this year and next year. And you look at uh, the work that uh, first-rounder Sam Poulin has put together, uh, Pittsburgh Penguin prospect, and he's missed some time. Uh, with that team. But one thing that the Phoenix do really, really well is they're excellent in transition and they're very fast with the puck. And uh, that can pay dividends and that's a playoff type of game. You know, if you can uh, get the puck and go north with it and you can move it really quickly, uh, that can really work to your advantage. And for the Sherbrooke Phoenix, that has definitely worked to their advantage this season, whether it's been a number of top prospects or whether it's whoever's in the lineup every night. They did pick up a couple of defensemen in Bulduk and uh, Bernard uh, on the back end who really will help them out this season. Um, but they didn't have to do a whole lot to improve themselves and again you know looking at this year and next year they'll get Samuel Hovai back next year who's their goaltender who's been on fire all year long he's been tremendous uh you look at Sam Poulin who you know it's a 50-50 he might be back in the queue again next year so you know you've got that's your two biggest players coming into next season and you know you got a handle on both of them unfortunately the rest of your top line is going to be going pro because they're both 20 but you know you can replace that with some trades and if you know you're going for it next year you can make moves to move some young players at that point but you know for the Sherbrooke Phoenix and Jocelyn Tebow they didn't see the urgency to get better this year for the sake of collapsing next year and I think that you see the way that that team is playing and I think 
think you can understand why. They can be just as good next season. And uh, they've got a style of play that really works uh, in all facets, in all, in all times of the year, uh, be it regular season or be it playoffs. They're a relatively physical team, uh, but they don't shy away from the physical play and they go to the rough areas, especially uh, Sam Poulin who is their uh, top-line center. He has missed some time, but he had an excellent playoff last year, and there's no reason not to expect that to continue. Um, I put them right in with the other contenders. I think that a team like Shakutami or Ramuski could give them a run for their money. I think that Sherbrooke's a better team than both of them, but uh, uh, certainly uh, we've seen a number of upsets in the queue, and it wouldn't surprise me if a few happened this year either. I have been butchering that goaltender's name all season. How do you pronounce the goalie's name in Sherbrooke? Samuel Lavai. Lavai. Okay, yeah. I, I, my face is red because I have been destroying that name uh, all season long. Uh, well, you can take comfort in that one. That one's straight from the goaltender himself. All right, perfect. Uh, we've gone this long in the conversation and haven't mentioned the name Alexi Lafreniere. This is a guy who could steal a series, but he's in that same conference uh, with, with uh, the Moncton Wildcats. Uh, where do you see that um, Ramuski team going this year? I mean, they're, they're third right now in the conference, but so much top-end talent. Could they surprise? And top-end talent really is the biggest name when you talk about the Ramuski-Oshinik, almost to their detriment. If you look at the way that, that their team is set up, Zach Bolduc's been great as another rookie uh, behind that top line. But really, the Oshinik go where that top line goes, and that's Alexis Lafreniere, Cedric Pare, and Dimitri Zevgorodnia. Uh, behind those three, and in the playoffs, they're going to get 35 minutes. Behind those three, they've got Nikola Gay, who's a pretty good offensive player. Bolduc's been really good as a rookie, but beyond that, they don't have anybody who can score. So the toughest part with Ramuski is going to be what do you do with those other 25 minutes when Lafreniere's not on the ice, when Pare's not on the ice, when is not on the ice. Uh, defensively, they've improved themselves quite a bit by getting Justin Bergeron on the back end, and they do add to a pretty decent defensive core, a bit younger, but Chris Ennis is pretty good. Isaac Bellevue has been an excellent rookie at pushing the puck up forward. He's been great on the power play. Um, and in goal, Creed Jones has been excellent in the absence of Colton Ellis, and now Ellis is back in healthy again. So they've got two great goaltenders. They're going to have to pick which one they want to ride. But uh, in the terms of Ramuski, I think of the top four in the East, they might be the most vulnerable. And it's just because of the time when the Lafreniere line is not on the ice, uh, they're going to have to make plays happen. Once that Lafreniere line's on the ice, that's it's the best line in the queue. But beyond that is where Ramuski might have some trouble. All right, well, we'll watch for that. Mike, I wanted to get to that story we were talking about uh, briefly uh, with the, the whole fighting scenario in the queue, and it was up for debate, and you were telling me it's been pushed to the summer. Uh, what's the latest that you're hearing in that regard? Well, I know that there was a, there was a lot of pushback uh, to the prospect of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League banning fighting for a couple of reasons. Of course, there is, there is the, the old school mentality, well, you can't ban fighting. It's been, it's been a part of the game since the game has existed. Um, there's that argument. There is also the idea that, you know, how much deviation of the rules between the three leagues can you really let happen? Right. Uh, and it kind of the the queue just kind of came out and said, "Oh, we're going to discuss it in the board of governors uh, meeting or in in the in the league meeting," and and kind of really quickly just kind of introduced it and then said, "Yeah, we're going to talk about it," and then it just kind of got pushed off. You know, it they didn't really bring it forward necessarily with the idea of bringing a ton of research or something that they've they've looked 
you know, at uh, specifically from their point of view uh, for quite a long time. It's, I don't know necessarily if it was leaked or if the league announced that they were going to talk about it, but it was something that showed up on the agenda and uh, it ended up getting pushed, uh, pushed beyond. And there, there are two different ways to look at it. I know, you know, as someone who's never played the game at a high level in my position, you know, I'm not necessarily in a position to talk about, you know, the momentum changes and the, and the, uh, the, entirety of policing in hockey because I've never been in that position. I don't consider myself to be someone who can talk with any authority about that role. You pull players, players overwhelmingly support fighting, at least at the professional level. Uh, at the junior level, certainly, you know, 16-year-olds fighting 20-year-olds uh, is always a worry at the back of many people's minds. And not only from an insurance perspective, but from an injury perspective, from a physical perspective, you know, that there's such a difference between a 16-year-old and a 20-year-old in a junior league. Um, it and and just in general, you know, that, that if you have them fighting each other, you know, what, what happens there? And we've certainly seen situations where injury has happened, where, you know, a 16-year-old and a 20-year-old have gone to battle physically um, in a number of different scenarios. So I can see both sides of it. Certainly from the Q's perspective, they want to make themselves a very welcoming league, a very accommodating league uh, for players who may necessarily be considering the U.S. college route, where, you know, fighting is is banned for the sake of a better term um you know in the q wrote it's it's a five minute penalty so technically yeah you know it's it's banned in that in that case but you know it's 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 a different perspective from the way to look at it and the q is looking at it from a marketing spot you know they're saying hey if we can draw some more players uh to want to join our league if we have to do what we have to do and get some more parents on board maybe it is what it is it is 2020 you know we know more realities of cte we know more realities of of what you know pummeling a growing brain can can do and have the long-term impacts that that it does and uh, i think certainly more study uh, is necessary uh, in that avenue um but uh, the league's going to look at it in the summer and we'll see what happens from there i know uh in some ways it's kind of like keeping the band-aid on um i think in and we saw with johnny boychuk this week you know in the case of wearing visors and uh, he getting clipped in the face by a skate and how long now the question becomes is everybody going to be wearing full cages you know from that perspective as well is this a case of is it a matter of time and should we rip the band-aid off now or is it something that is it is it kicking a can down the road or is it something that we feel we can keep as a traditional part and aspect of the sport and there's a lot of different ways you can really look at it and the queue is going to instead of looking at it now looking at it in august at the earliest yeah i would say fighting has been on a steady decline for the last number of years but as mm-hmm. a, from a fan perspective and i'm like you as a broadcaster you know i i don't have the, the the background to suggest whether there's a place for it anymore or not. But, uh, you know, calling a game and a fight breaks out, the fans definitely get up for it. So it's it's still of interest to, I think, most general fans. Personally, I wouldn't miss it if, if fighting was gone. And, and I agree with you. I think uh, we kind of have to take a look at the long-term uh, effects, both benefits and negative effects uh, of fighting in the game. I, I just It seems to me an easy solution would be if you get in a fight, maybe there's a game or two-game suspension, and that would probably curtail it enough where fighting would even drop much more significantly than it already has. Uh, and you, you fight in college hockey, you're done for a game as well. Yeah, and I, and I would agree with that. And I think that that's not an uncommon solution to that look. I know the Q and the OHL and other leagues have flirted with the idea, well, if you fight in the last five minutes or staged fighting or all that, that it comes with an extra uh, punitive element to it. I uh, wouldn't be surprised by that. If you look at the fighting numbers in the Q in particular, and I know I do when I prep for every broadcast because I want to know the fighting numbers for each team in case fights happen. And really, it has been in case fights happen because fights are down and they're down by a 
quite a wide margin. Uh, some teams have gone from having 35 or 40 fights two years ago to having 25 last year to having 12 this year, you know, and, and we're through most of the year. So those numbers are somewhat comparable. So we're talking about a dramatic drop uh, in fights per game in just in the regular season for, for a lot of teams, you know, some teams in the queue used to lead, used to lead by fighting majors with, you know, 45 or 50. And now last year, the lead, I think it was under 30, you know, and this year the leads around the same as well. So, you know, it's in some ways a natural progression as well that, you know, the aggression and the physicality is kind of leaving our game a little bit. The fighting aspect of it is leaving our game. And I think that that's an accurate thing to say, you know, so that brings another question of, do we necessarily have to do anything to make fighting drop or will it continue its natural progression? I just pulled up the stats. The leading penalty guy in the, the queue right now is Thomas Curran or Karen uh, with the uh, Rampart. 115 penalty minutes. That that's it. That I mean, we're gone are the days where a guy has 300 penalty minutes. Yeah, in the queue there were four and five hundred minutes. It seemed every year, 15 years ago. Yeah. So I think it's on its way out anyway, but we could probably speed that up. And and again, I wouldn't miss it if it's gone. But I'm not on the ice, so there. Who knows? There could be a side effects without fighting that we don't foresee right now that might be just as bad or even worse. Exactly. And that's what, that's why the queue can't be, they can't be speedy in choosing what they do with this. You have to take a very pragmatic approach uh, when you look into uh, banning fighting or making fighting more punitive or what decision you make is that what are the opposite, you know, what is the opposite position on that and what, and what would happen, you know, if this than that, right? So if fighting ends up being more punitive and it ends up being a position where players find it less of an advantage to fight, well, what's the alternative? You know, because we've all seen games where, you know, the the passion and the anger gets to a bottling point and a boiling point. And, you know, what, what happens then? You know, is it going to be a cheap shot? Is it going to be a stick swinging incident? Is it going to be just a bunch of name calling? What is it? And we don't really know because we are we haven't been in that situation yeah. yet. So that's another angle that we all have to look at. And I agree with you. I don't know that one of the three leagues can make this change without the other two following suit. So maybe this is a more of a CHL question uh, than it is just for the mm-hmm. Q. But uh, Mike, as always, great stuff. Uh, thanks for your time, and uh, we'll chat again, I'm sure, once the playoffs uh, get going. Absolutely. Always my pleasure. That's the voice of the St. John Sea Dogs, Mike Sanderson, also a writer with McKean's Hockey, and uh, again, once again, knocking it out of the park here on the Pipeline Show. I love a bilingual guy who can pronounce all the French names just so uh, easily and effortlessly, and, uh, and I try to say a, a French name, and even though I have a French background, I'm embarrassed to say I don't speak French uh, well enough to say that I speak French, but I just butcher the names and I just there's something about a French name pronounced by a French speaking person uh, just makes it so much better. So I appreciate Mike for that and for uh, all the other information that he brings to the show every time that he's on the program. Schedule in the uh, the queue this weekend, well, for the uh, two main teams, and really, to me, it's almost a two-team race now, but Uh, The Moncton Wildcats, they are uh, at home on uh, Saturday. They don't play tonight. But can they keep the streak going? They'll do it. If they do, they'll do it against Patrick Waugh and the Quebec Rempart. Meanwhile, Sherbrooke is at home tonight, Friday night, against Valdor, and then uh, on the road in Ottawa uh, to play the uh, Gatineau Olympique. I guess they're in Gatineau, Quebec, but across the river from Ottawa. Uh, Moncton also playing on Sunday. So back-to-backs for both teams, but not 3-3 for either. 
Moncton will host Drummondville on a Sunday afternoon. If you're a follower of the queue, let me know of those two teams, is there a favorite right now or does it go right down to the wire? Could you see that being a six or seven game series with uh, a lot of overtime? You let me know. You can hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. All right. We had a 2020 draft spotlight segment to start the show. We're going to have one in the next segment as well. Another guy who's projected to go in the first round, getting a lot of those guys on the show here lately. Uh, Caden Gooley, defenseman with the Prince Albert Raiders. First rounder, late first round. I've seen him in the uh, ranked in the teens. I've also seen some uh, publications that have him just outside the first round. So I guess he's not a lock to go in the top 31. But uh, Caden Gooley, following in the footsteps of his older brother with the uh, Prince Albert Raiders and uh, trying to help the defending champs get back to uh, repeat and defend that crown. Well, let's get to know Caden Gooley next here on the Pipeline Show. Minnesota selects as the first pick in the 1988 entry draft. From Prince Albert, Mike Medano. Hey, this is former Prince Albert Raider Mike Medano, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Go Raiders, go! Go Raiders, go! The green, white, and gold theme is Go Raiders, go! We take on the roughest and welcome the toughest, but the song in Prince Albert is Go Raiders, go! Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. 